The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in D.C., and here is your top five at five. The Fed kicking off what one investing legend calls the most important meeting of Jay Powell's career. President Biden in Brussels, ahead of a closely watched face-to-face with Vladimir Putin. We are live on the ground in Switzerland with a report. Bitcoin back about 40,000 for the first time in weeks. The new survey sheds light on the hedge funds growing exposure to the crypto world. The global shipping container shortage front and center just one day after Home Depot took matters into its own hands. And is it way too early to say timber? The Tuesday morning RBI on the dramatic move in the price of one key commodity. It is Tuesday, June 15th, and this is... Worldwide Exchange, right here on CNBC. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Great to be back with you. Thanks for joining us. And here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their Tuesday and futures. They are higher once again, not by a lot, but they are across the board in the green. Dow futures up about 39. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq hitting new record highs once again. And don't tell anyone, but the Nasdaq 100 is quietly having a big run. It is now up seven days in a row. And that is the first time that has happened in the year 2021. Big tech, something to watch. Now, outside of stocks, There is a big debate lately around the fate of bonds and inflation. A huge Fed meeting kicks off today. Trillions literally riding on the Fed. And interest rates and bond yields, well, they have been stagnant lately. But that could all change if the Fed changes its language. The benchmark 10-year note yield has actually come down a bit. It's at 1.48%. Also, by the way, oil and the major cryptos are both higher this morning as well. We'll get to more on that in just a bit. But let us start at the start. And this morning's top story, the Federal Reserve, kicking off its two-day policy meeting today. And the key focus will be on any language over reducing their bond buying, so-called tapering, as well as, of course, the central bank's take on whether they need to get more aggressive on combating rising prices, inflation. That is something some of the biggest names in investing are watching very closely. If they treat it with nonchalance, if they say we're on, we're on path, things are good, uh, then I would just go all in on the inflation, on the inflation trades. I'd probably buy commodities, buy crypto, buy gold. The great debate is, you know, when it's transitory, not transitory. Well, after the fact, you figured out it wasn't. You're never going to figure out it isn't on the way in by definition because you're saying it's temporary and you're in the middle. Of it. And so I think... That's the real question. And I think that we have to be much more careful right now than we've been. The question is, when does the Fed move? It has to move at some point. 
And I think the bias is more likely earlier than the current dots would suggest rather than later. And that's what I expressed. Obviously, I have no special wisdom on it, but my gut tells me this economy is recovering faster, inflation is moving quicker, and it may not be quite as transitory as we all think. All right, joining us now to kick off the show today is Pivotal Advisor, CEO and CNBC contributor, Tiffany McGee. Tiffany, good to have you back on. All right, the Federal Reserve. Hi, Brian. The meeting kicks off today, the rate decision tomorrow. What are you going to be watching most closely? So, you know, and, and by the way, kudos to you for getting, I think, all the, the, the important uh, sound bites in. Um, so, you know, like most people, I'm not expecting the Fed to say much this week. You know, they've been very clear that they're watching two things. Number one, inflation and number two, employment. Um, and so we have not been kind of meeting uh, the, the, the Fed's smell test, if you will, on the employment. We do have this disconnect in terms of um, uh, available jobs and then people who are unemployed. So we're not really meeting their requirement there or, or their, their threshold to be able to act. So I'm not really expecting much. Um, and, you know, that one of those sound bites was, was absolutely right. I, I was listening, so, I, so um, I, I, uh, I couldn't see. But, you know, you don't know if inflation is intransitory until we're really through it, like in it and through it. Um, but I do think that we have to consider that we're bouncing back from such a low point of growth. And so when you bounce, you know, you're really having this um, surge of, of – um, of um, uh, growth in prices. And so, you know, the current inflation really reflects that upward momentum. So, yeah, I think that we are going to be in this bounce back for a while. So investors should be thinking about how they're positioning their portfolios, you know, the best um, positioning uh, really to kind of whether any scenario is a diversified portfolio, thinking about diversification across size and style, um, you know, even slightly overweighting growth as a hedge for for inflation, but also including value, which is clearly having a moment. Um, and then in addition to large cap, small cap opportunities, um, investors can also add global equities, uh, you know, com- with, uh, from countries that aren't necessarily, um, you know, in tandem with U.S. inflation. that can be a hedge uh, to, to, to domestic inflation. And, you know, for, for those people who are maybe closer to retirement, or just really income investors um, and a little bit more conservative, also adding tips as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's amazing. You look at 10-year yields, Tiffany, and I tweeted last night, just kind of, you know, ruffle feathers. I said I thought the 10-year yield would end the year under 1.5%. Nobody cares what I think. They care what you think as well. (laughs) We are below 1.5% of the 10-year. Does that give the all-clear to big tech stocks, a name I, by the way, I know you like from watching halftime report and everything else, a Microsoft, maybe a Netflix. Yeah, well, I mean, as you mentioned at the top of the show, the NASDAQ is really having a moment. It really is in this, what is it, the seventh straight um, straight positive day. And so, you know, we did have that that um, rotation kind of into value. But I think that we are going to be having this rotation back into growth before the end of the year. I think that we're seeing that right now. Um, you know, and, and I like Microsoft for a number of reasons, including, you know, them. They just announced their uh, streaming offering, which I think they is they're really uniquely positioned to kind of dominate in the uh, gaming streaming um, um, uh, uh, space. But yeah, I do think that it kind of opens the way for tech to kind of do its thing and um, and kind of, you know, reclaim its spot, if you will. 
Yeah, because low rates going to be certainly a key to that as well. And, and when you say around the world very yeah. quickly, do you think European markets, which to your to your to coin a phrase, to, are having a moment, Tiffany, are European equities <laughs> overall a better Absolutely. bet than U.S. equities? So you won't get me to say better. Right. So I would say, um, you know, again, going back to this idea of this diversified portfolio, I think including European equities is all, is 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 definitely a good idea. Um, also, in particular, you know, um, Italian equities. Right. So Italian countries like um, Italy and and Australia don't their their inflation doesn't seem to be in um, lockstep and in tandem with U.S. inflation. So I think that that's a good idea, too. Italy and Australia. Tiffany McGee, always a pleasure to have you on Worldwide Exchange. Thanks for kicking off the show, Tiffany. Thanks, Brian. We'll see you soon. Yep. Oh, you're see very you. welcome. All right. Now to geopolitics and to Europe, because President Biden still in Brussels this morning as he prepares for tomorrow's face-to-face with Vladimir Putin. Biden is already out with strong rhetoric ahead of the Geneva summit. Let's send it out there to Eamon Javers, who is in Switzerland with more this morning. Eamon. Good morning to you, Brian. Take a live look here at Brussels, where we expect to see President Biden any moment now meeting with King Philippe and the prime minister of uh, Brussels uh, in that room there uh, where you see the U.S. uh, and the Belgian flags. Uh, We expect to see this meeting here shortly. This is just sort of a diplomatic bilateral session following up on yesterday's NATO session in which uh, the NATO leaders gathered uh, and really addressed two big threats to to the world as they saw it. One is the threat of the rise of China, uh, which they said is concerning for the first time, and then also the aggressiveness of Russia, which they said represents a threat uh, to the NATO alliance. But the president was asked to preview in his press conference there his meeting with Vladimir Putin on Wednesday. The president said he's not looking for conflict there. Here's what he said. I'm going to make clear to President Putin that there are areas where we can't cooperate if he chooses. And if he chooses not to cooperate, then we will respond. We will respond in kind. He was also asked about some of the criticism that he's meeting with Putin too early in his first term. He said, though, that he has the support of NATO leaders for this meeting tomorrow. Every single one that spoke. And I think there were probably about 10 or 12 that spoke to it, saying they were happy that I did that, that I was going to do that. And they thought it was thoroughly appropriate that I do. So we expect the president to wrap up in Brussels later today and head here to Geneva, Switzerland, where I can tell you that the security footprint on the ground is slowly gathering steam here over the couple of days that we've been in Geneva and the big set piece with Vladimir Putin here on Lake Geneva, lakeside in a beautiful facility here on Wednesday, Brian. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and despite the beautiful looks there, there have been, Eamon, some criticisms of the trip, some suggesting maybe that it is simply too early to be meeting Vladimir Putin, that maybe the, the issues are not clearly laid out on the table. What are some of the criticisms and what are some of the responses from the White House? Well, you heard some of what Biden said there defending his trip with the views of the other NATO leaders. I talked to John Bolton yesterday, uh, who, of course, was President Trump's national security advisor and had his own difficulties with President Trump. 
Bolton laid out the criticism of Biden's trip as it's being too early. Uh, the argument is that Biden hasn't necessarily thought through what he wants from this meeting with Vladimir Putin, but Putin certainly has thought through exactly what he wants uh, from Joe Biden. So the question is, is this too early in the term? And as we look at here now, the live pictures of the president uh, with the prime minister of Belgium and King Philippe there uh, as they put on the masks uh, and take the photo op. And this is sort of part of the diplomatic dance that you do uh, day in and day out on the road on these European trips is uh, it's leader after leader after leader. We saw President Biden uh, yesterday uh, meeting with a, a group of the Baltic state leaders and now uh, meeting with the Belgians uh, in Brussels here uh, we expect him to have a number of meetings throughout the day today, uh, continue to uh, sort of extend American warmth uh, in, in the relationship to Europe. The Biden views this very much, Brian, as a moment where uh, the United States is emerging, re-emerging on the world scene from the America first policies of his predecessor. Uh, and this personal diplomacy, the sort of gripping and grinning, and there you see the hand pat on the back, yeah. All of that by the president is designed to show the European allies that the United States is back. But that criticism of his trip is that it's simply too early in the term uh, for the president to do this. And, and Vladimir Putin will get more out of it than Joe Biden will. Biden simply shrugging that criticism off, Brian. Let's talk about your uh, area of expertise. Uh, one of many, by the way, Eamon, which is obviously cyber. We talked about the hack of the Colonial Pipeline. We talked about the hack of JBS meets. I mean, there is no sign this is slowing down at all. How front and center will that be for the president with Vladimir Putin? Maybe to say to Putin, listen, you know, whether these are state-sponsored criminals or not, figure this out. They're coming from your country, according to all resources and sources. Get this stopped. Do something about this. Is that going to be top of mind? Is Vladimir Putin going to be receptive to that kind of a message? Well, it, look, it could be top of the agenda from the U.S. perspective, right? I mean, uh, this is, these are strategic assets of the United States. These are the ways you run a society, food, fuel, and all the rest of it. And you heard Brian Moynihan yesterday suggesting that uh, his bank is spending a billion dollars a year on cybersecurity. You can imagine the drain that that's taking across all of corporate America on sort of capitalist resources that could be deployed into growing businesses. So cyber definitely top of the agenda. Vladimir Putin, though, has laughed off suggestions that he's responsible for any of these attacks and simply denied responsibility for it, Brian. Yeah, certainly, but a uh, billion dollars a year multiplied across. You wonder, maybe just go back to checkbooks and, and you know, turning pipelines on by hand. Eamon Jabbers right. in Geneva, Switzerland. They even they even turned the fountain on for you, Eamon. And, but, but who wouldn't? Eamon right. Jabbers, thank you. It's beautiful here. All right. Oh, yeah, big meeting there. We're glad you are there, Eamon. All right. We are just getting started on a very busy Tuesday when we come back. Online, meet offline. Amazon going deeper into the grocery biz with the launch of its first full-size branded store with one big twist. Plus, the latest on Lordstown as the fate of the startup car maker taking another turn. And then, why Raymond James calling the recent cyber attacks on the U.S. a reopening trade. It's a very busy hour. Futures, they are higher. We are back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? 
Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. The three big stock stories of the morning. Let's go. First up is really a twofer, Boeing and Airbus. The Financial Times reporting the U.S. and the EU are set to resolve a 17-year fight over aircraft subsidies. A deal could be finalized today at President Biden's summit with those EU leaders in Brussels, the one we just talked about. It would lift the threat of billions of dollars in punitive tariffs and boost transatlantic relations. Stock number two, Amazon, saying it will open its first full-size grocery store in Washington state on Thursday. The new Amazon Fresh store will feature just walkout technology. That's where you don't have to go through any checkout line to pay for items. It just scans your phone because it knows what you picked up. It will also have an Alexa kiosk, and you can pick up and return Amazon packages as well. And stock three, Lordstown Motors. Shares nearly falling 20% yesterday. This after the carmaker said CEO and founder Steve Burns and CFO Julio Rodriguez have resigned. Burns is the company's largest shareholder with a 26% stake. Lordstown has appointed interim executives and says it still plans to begin limited production of its electric pickup trucks in September. But that stock down almost 20% on Monday. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. An inside look at the global shipping container shortage. Why Home Depot is looking to take matters into its own hands. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome or welcome back. Let's stay focused right now on a story that we first brought to you at the start of the year, the global shortage of shipping containers. Well, today the House Transportation Committee will hold a hearing on the issue and its impact on the North American supply chain. All this is the problem takes another turn, and that is a new COVID outbreak at a major port in China, causing even more delays. Wait times at the Yantian International Container Terminal in Shenzhen have gone from an average of 12 hours to 16 days. Now, all of this as Home Depot looks to take control of the situation itself, contracting its own container ship on this, and helping shore up its supply chain. Joining us now is Edge Worldwide Logistics CEO Philip Edge, a freight specialist whose company is on the front lines 
of this crisis. Philip, good morning. It's good to chat with you again. Uh, have you ever in your career seen a retailer like a Home Depot basically rent its own ship? No, no, never. But it doesn't surprise me. I mean, the, the crisis got that bad now. The prices have got that high that, to be honest, with someone like Home Depot, with the volume that they move, it does it does make sense for them to do it. It's a real, real crisis. And I think one of the biggest issues, this is not a short-term crisis anymore. This is going to the medium term. I can't really see any, any massive improvement, at least for the next year. The next year? You think we could have another year of what we're seeing now, Philip? I do. I, do. I think that... The mess is that big that the ports are that congested. Demand is still extraordinarily high. The backlogs that are built up in warehouses in China and all over Asia, I just don't see a short-term solution for it. It's, it's, a, it's a major, major problem. And all the, when we last discussed this, the problems with container shortages, lack of vessels, it's still, it's still there. And if anything, like I said, it was, it's getting worse and rates are just going up and up and up. Yeah, for our viewers, and uh, I don't know if you caught this, we were at the Port of Charleston, South Carolina, back in February to talk about this, Philip, and we highlighted that it was like mid-February, whatever the exact date was, doesn't matter. Christmas items, ornaments, were still just coming into the port. I mean, months late. That's the kind of backlog that we're seeing from around the world. It's also screwing up the U.S. trade deficit because we're sending empty containers from the U.S. back to Asia rather than filling up with U.S. goods to sell to Asia. Is there anything that you see that can be done to resolve this problem, or do we just literally got to wait it out? Well, you're seeing, you're seeing small changes. I mean, people, are, there's other carriers that are beginning to get involved, smaller regional carriers that are now seeing opportunities on the Trans-Pacific and Asia-European markets and starting to deploy vessels. We've even seen some bulk carriers that are now beginning to carry containers on the, on the vessels coming to again to Europe and the US from Asia, but the, in the whole scheme of things, these are, these are relatively small, and the impact they have will be relatively small. So, I just think that you're just going to have to people are just going to have to battle it out. But ultimately, those that pricing's got to go somewhere, and it can't always go into the retail, and they can't absorb everything. So, all these imported products, ultimately, the inflation is going to move through to the consumer and the, the amount of money they pay for to take something off the shelf. You think other companies are going to do what Home Depot did and basically say, you know what, I'm not going to try to charter a ship, you know, or go through somebody else. I'm just going to rent my own ship. Do you think more will follow that? Because that's a, a very unique move. It is. I mean, I think, I think maybe one or two will, will follow that. I mean, certainly what we've seen is some clubbing together and effectively chartering their own ship and maybe putting two, 300 containers each on those vessels. So I think we may see some more of that. Whereas... If you go back, the Barry Swencher was so high on the on the big trade lanes, and now with the prices where they are, it's lowered the barriers, so more people can now try and yeah. try and deploy the vessels on that trade and still make money. Um, but what Home Depot have done is quite unique. It wouldn't surprise if a couple more do, but not that many people could probably afford it or have the volume to fill those ships. They got the ship. I guess now all they got to do is. Find the actual metal box containers. Philip Edge, thank you very much, Philip. Good to chat with you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right ahead, rich folks, pay up. 
Democrats behind the idea of a big one-time millionaire tax. More on that. And a big reminder, the CNBC Evolve Global Summit is catching up tomorrow. Global leaders and innovators from around the world looking at the new era of business. You can register now at cnbcevents.com slash evolve. You're back in moments. The Fed kicking off what some call the most important decision of Jay Powell's career. But what exactly does the Fed need to do to keep stocks running higher? We're going to find out. President Biden set to go one-on-one with Vladimir Putin with a wave of criminal cyber attacks on America's infrastructure and companies right at the top of the agenda. And NBA star James Harden making the move from the hardwood to the boardroom, making a stake in one luxury retailer. It is Tuesday, June 15th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, 5.30 on the new news. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, it could be another good day for your money. We say that because stock futures, they are higher. Not a lot, but they are up. Dow futures implied up 25. NASDAQ also in the green. Speaking of the NASDAQ, why don't we take a look at the NDX, the NASDAQ 100. It is coming off an all-time high of its own. And if you are keeping score at home, the NASDAQ 100 is now up seven sessions in a row. By the way, that is the first time that has happened this year. Biotech has been hot. Names like Biogen, Moderna, and Illumina all helping to power it higher and all up at least 11% in the past two weeks. A lot of bad stuff as we look past COVID, market going back to focusing on other things that we may need to cure in the years ahead. So biotech has been red hot. What hasn't been hot are bonds. Bond yields have actually been falling in the last couple of weeks. And of course, you got the kickoff of today's big Fed meeting. Trillions, probably literally, riding on the Fed's bond buying decisions and the future of interest rates. Like we said, bond yields, they've been actually lower a bit and they are below 1.5% right now. 10-year yield at 1.49. Something certainly to watch. That meeting, of course, and the decision will culminate tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And in the crypto world, we didn't forget that. Don't worry. Bitcoin, having a big move Monday, in fact, was back above 40,000 then, and it remains back above 40,000 now. Bitcoin is a little bit higher. Ethereum up 2% to just under 2,600. So why don't we stay there and stick with crypto? With a check on this morning's top headlines, Bertha Coombs is here now with those. Bertha, good morning. Good morning, Brian. You know, hedge funds reportedly plan to dramatically up their exposure to cryptos over the next five years. According to the Financial Times, citing a new survey of 100 chief financial officers from funds around the world, they expect cryptos to be an average of just over 7% of their assets by 2026. The FT says if that percentage is replicated across the sector, it would equal total holdings of about $312 billion, marking a large increase in 
an appetite among hedge funds. One of the Democrats leading the push in Congress to expand the state and local tax deduction is reportedly weighing a plan for a one-time wealth tax on the richest Americans. Bloomberg reports Democratic Congressman Tom Suozzi of New York would propose a one-off 2.5% tax on wealth totaling more than $50 million and a 5% tax on assets over $100 million. The report adds that the tax could be paid over five years and could raise billions to help offset the cost of Swazi's proposal to lift the limitation on SALT deductions. And finally, James Harden is making moves off the court. He may be busy right now during the playoffs, but he's taking a stake in sacks. The NBA superstar will become a member of the luxury retailer's board after taking that minority position. Terms of the investment have not been made available, but Harden is expected to advise Sachs on growing high potential consumer brands and helping expand its e-commerce platform. I would imagine, Brian, that there'd be a lot to do with grooming of facial hair. He's so iconic for that beard. The, the hardened brand of razors or skincare products, perhaps. We could certainly see that, you know. You know, if I've gotten the pleasure yeah, to know I mean, James Harden guys, a little bit. I could tell you that. Yeah. We're just going to stand here and stare at each other virtually, Bertha, or, or sit here. <laughs> Ladies first, please. <laughs> no, no, I, you just, go. I think it's just so no, interesting how go. all of these guys are investing. I, I did not know James Harden. Uh, I met Draymond Green. He was one of the investors in uh, Smile Direct Club. You know, a lot of these guys are much more savvy now about what to do with their money. Oh, and also, by the way, millions of social media followers, the direct messaging, they've got the built-in audience, they are influencers in their own way. There's a lot there, so we're watching. Sachs, Bertha, thank you. <laughs> All right, now let's switch gears and get more on the president's overseas trip. The focus now shifts to his high-profile meeting with Vladimir Putin tomorrow. Ahead of that sit-down, Biden issuing a warning to Putin over jailed Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny. This is leaders at the NATO summit stressed the threat posed by Moscow, along with challenges that the group faces from China. For more now, we're joined by Ed Mills, Washington policy analyst at Raymond James, and a must-read from D.C. to New York. Uh, Ed, a real pleasure to have you back on. What do you want to see come from the meetings and the summit? What does the street want or need to see from the summit? Yeah, Brian, I think that the market is going to look at the Putin-Biden meeting from the lens of a, a couple of things. First is on the cyber attacks and the ransomware attacks. Uh, this has really attacked the reopening trade, uh, things that hit gas, meat, uh, travel. Um, and if there is a better than expected meeting, there might be some hope that we can get some relief there. If it's worse than expected, I think people will be concerned that we are going to see more of this. I think one area of potential agreement is on nuclear nonproliferation. That is obviously mm. a huge positive. Um, but then we're also looking to see how this meeting plays into the whole theme of Biden's concerns of democracies versus autocracies and how Russia and China are being more and more linked uh, by the Biden administration as two areas of significant concern uh, in a more hawkish stance than I think a lot of people had anticipated at the beginning of his term.
Let me ask it bluntly, Ed. What leverage, if anything, do we have over Russia whatsoever? Um, the U.S. dollar. Uh, the fact that almost all financial transactions in this world go through the SWIFT financial system. Uh, that is a significant advantage that the United States has. And it is arguably we are at a point where we have more leverage there than any point in our history. Um, leadership. Uh, we just finished up the NATO summit. Um, and if there is one thing that Putin and Russia are always fearful of is a stronger NATO. Um, and so it is a very well choreographed kind of trip where we start with the G7. He's not invited there. He used to be going to NATO, showing mm. a stronger NATO uh, and then uh, having a meeting with Putin and not giving him a press conference. These are a series of events that shows kind of a uh, pretty forceful position, a strong position by the United States. Trying to marginalize Putin a bit by, by not giving him that platform. But, but Putin does know that he has literally the middle ground between the Western world and China. It's increasingly, Ed, starting to feel like the U.S. and Western Europe sort of and China on the other side. Russia is literally and figuratively in the middle. How much will China factor in to these discussions? I think it will be huge. I think, you know, it's it's interesting to go back even 40, 50 years ago where uh, there was a battle between Russia and China and China decided to pivot towards the West. And part of the reopening of China uh, for more than a generation has been their desire to engage in the West. Uh, it seems as if that rise uh, was fueled by that. But now there is real concerns about human rights abuses in China, uh, autocracy uh, and kind of the leadership by uh, Xi. And so it does seem that the further we see some decoupling between the United States and China, the more likely there will be greater ties between uh, China and Russia. That is a policy decision that has to be played out. Uh, but ultimately, the United States has very strong allies. Russia and China don't have any true allies that go back as long as the United States does. Yeah, but somehow they keep getting it done. Obviously, the world's consumer producer, that is, of course, China, Russia, one of, if not maybe the second or third most powerful oil producer in the world as well. A lot of talk about cyber attacks. Biden is expected to say to Putin, you need to knock that off. But do you think that Putin will be receptive? Something that is costing American corporations and consumers tens of billions of dollars a year, if not more. I don't think he's necessarily going to be receptive. He engages a lot of whataboutisms. Uh, my favorite uh, quote from him this week is, if you're ugly, don't blame the mayor. Uh, a lot of deflection. Um, so I think that, you know, this is asymmetric warfare from Putin uh, in Russia. They don't have to spend a lot of money. They don't have to be an official state actor to get a real impact in impacting consumer confidence in this country. Uh, so he might say yeah. a couple of things, but it's not going to be something he follows through. Yeah, fair enough. And by the way, you talked about dollars, but Ed, uh, the Russian stock market is the hottest stock market in the world this year in terms of U.S. dollars. It's up the most of any major market. Ed Mills of Raymond James, always a must read, Ed. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you very Thank you, much. Brian. All right, you're welcome. On deck, your morning RBI will see the forest for the trees and maybe some good news if you're trying to build a deck or buy a home or back in a moment.
Blowout earnings. The malls, they're absolutely mobbed. And a little, or maybe a lot, of lockdown snacking as people rushing out to buy some, some new clothes. Let's talk more about the Roaring Twenties in retail, which have arrived, and bring in Jan Rogers Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide. Jan, good to have you back on. I mean, this is a true story. No one's going to care. Went to the mall yesterday, and the Apple store had a two-and-a-half-hour wait just to get waited on, absolutely jammed at two o'clock on a Monday afternoon. What is going on in retail? Well, Brian, I guess I'm not surprised. Things are just back and the consumer is really, really strong. But think about it. I mean, you can't hire help. You can't get a shipping container. You can't get a boat to put it on. But inventories have never been in better shape. They've never been cleaner. And the consumer's never been stronger. So it's a good news, bad news joke for retail. We're going to have a blowout holiday season. Yes, we're going to have higher shipping costs. That's going to have some impact on gross margins, but we're not going to have any unplanned markdowns. Things are very, very strong out there, and it's across the board. It's not just online. It's not just in-store. It's not just discretionary. It's everything you can see. We're supposed to see a rotation here, right? We're supposed to rotate from being yeah. home goods into apparel and shoes, accessories. Not happening. Everything is selling well. Some things are not growing quite Except- as fast as they were, like the home goods categories. But the apparel category is back, and so are shoes and accessories. And even cosmetic, which has been both ways, you know, lipstick and color is really back. We're seeing very, very strong. Except goes back, Jen, goes back to that labor issue that you just that you just talked about. Okay, and and I ended up, you know, we ended up leaving the store because we we just said we'll buy it online. We're not going to wait, literally stand there for two and a half hours, and walking out through a major department store to get to our car, I noticed lines at the checkout counter and some people sort of wandering around and looked to be frustrated that they they couldn't find someone to help them. Check out. As strong as the consumer may be, is the lack of labor going to hold back the the return of retail? Because people love going shopping, but they don't love standing in lines. It is an issue. I talked to three different store managers in the last week of three different organizations, all of whom mentioned not being able to get enough help as a problem in their particular store. One store manager told me he had an associate that was on commission that made $100,000 a year and told me she wasn't coming back because she was doing well enough. She wouldn't have to drive if she didn't come back. She didn't need child care. And she was getting enough not being on the job to get by. And she wasn't coming back before September. So we're seeing a lot of that kind of resistance to coming back into the workforce. That's going to go away. We will get that sorted out over time. The containers will get sorted out. There will be ships to handle the containers. But it's going to take a while to sort all that out. In the meantime, however, inventories have never been cleaner. Gross margins have been great. And they're going to be that way right through holiday. So, yes, you should buy it now because it won't be there. And there won't be anybody to wait on you. But it's still a great environment for selling to the consumer. I think what you're saying is don't expect all the discounts that we used to see because they bought too much stuff. No one bought it. They had to mark it down. They've used the COVID and lockdowns to clean out their inventories. Uh, I try, Jan, I tried to be um, diplomatic about it on the way that I uh, wrote the intro. 
about people going out to buy new clothes. Listen, it's no secret that uh, a, a lot of Americans have unfortunately uh, added to their waistlines uh, over the past year. Study after study shows the point I'm trying to get at is how big is the apparel market going to be as here's the reality. If you're going back to the office, millions or tens of millions of Americans are probably going to have to buy new clothes. I just read a study that said the average consumer gained 29 pounds during COVID. I don't think that That's could possibly I didn't want to be say true, it. but they've definitely gained weight. And no, they changed right. sizes. And we're going to see a big run in apparel. And it's going to look more like grown-up clothes than athleisure clothes, but it's still going to be comfortable and it's still going to be soft. So we're seeing all that coming into the marketplace right now, unconstructed jackets with T-shirts instead of collared shirts under them, things like that. But yes, people are buying new stuff to either go back to work or go out to play. And that's going to be very, very good for the traditional retail marketplace and apparel. Yeah. And, and by the way, we did a study on a couple months ago that uh, the average millennial that had gained weight had gained 40 pounds, four zero. So it's not just about apparel. It's going to be, unfortunately, a lot uh, about a lot of other things, too. Jan Rogers Niffin. Jay Rogers Niffin Worldwide. Jan, a pleasure to have you back on. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You're very welcome. All right. Yeah, a lot of, uh, obviously, fallout from that on many different levels. All right. If you haven't already, just a nudge, a gentle reminder to follow our podcast on all the major platforms. Futures are higher. Your RBI and Tom Porcelli coming up next. Could be the most important Fed meeting in Jay Powell's career, certainly the most important Fed meeting of the, uh, of the past four or five years. And the reason why is because we've had so much incoming data that challenges both their mission and their model. So how they react to that will be extraordinarily important and will be signaling, I think, for investors as to how they should deal with their portfolios going forward. That was Tudor Investments and hedge fund legend Paul Tudor Jones speaking to CNBC yesterday. And like the hedge fund manager, everybody else also seems to have big expectations for Jay Powell and the Fed with a rate decision tomorrow. But it really all comes down not to rates. They're not going to do anything on rates. It comes down to inflation and what they are willing to do about higher prices, if do anything. Let's get RBC Capital Markets Chief U.S. Economist Tom Porcelli on find out what he thinks. It's a big debate. Tom, I mean, do you think the Fed is going to hint, nudge anything about a willingness to be more aggressive on rates because of inflation or not? Yeah, look, you know, and good morning, Brian. Um, look, it's a conversation they're now having out in the open, right? I mean, there's what, four officials talking about tapering now. So <laughs> on some level, it would sort of feel weird if they actually don't talk about tapering tomorrow. Uh, uh, but, you know, do, do, do I have any expectation that they will bring that conversation to the finish line? No, I, I don't think that conversation is for tomorrow. Um, I, I think or I hope at best they'll at least start the conversation. But I do think by the end of the year um, they, they will start the tapering process. I mean, this is a longstanding call of ours. Uh, you know, the, the sort of the, the economic backdrop um, no longer um, demands that we have the same level of mm. monetary policy accommodation today um, that we did a year ago. Uh, so I certainly think it is reasonable in the context of, you know, a, a, a recovery that is, uh, you know, sort of well entrenched at this point, um, a, you know, a, a GDP that that basically did, did, did a V, which no one thought it would. 
um, and inflationary pressures that, that are now building. How enduring, it's, I, I think people are getting caught up in this idea a little bit, too much. It's, I, I, I don't know how enduring it's going to be. I don't think anyone really does. But what I do know is that inflation expectations are starting a process of becoming untethered. Uh, it's nascent. I mean, it's not like it's, you know, running Un- untethered, at this untethered point, Tom, with what? Untethered. What, what, what do you yeah. mean untethered? In, inflation expectations. Inflation expectations are becoming untethered. Um, and so in that context, um, I, I don't know if it matters that, that this is going to go on for six months or a year uh, or, or a little bit longer. Uh, I, I think that you're already seeing signs that that these in, uh, inflation expectations are becoming um, untethered. And I think that's probably enough for the Fed to start the conversation, which is why I think we are where we are. Does the Fed change its language at all? Because it's that su- we used to do when I hosted the Fed show, you know, this yeah. word cloud thing. I mean, it, analyzing subtle language, language changes. And, you know, they change the and to a but and the it to a the. I mean, do you expect language changes, Tom? Yeah. Look, um, it, you know, uh, every meeting, there's always some some changes, whether it's, uh, you know, modest or, or, or otherwise. They actually did make a couple of uh, sizable changes to, uh, to, to the inflation statement the last go around. Um, uh, you know, is the is the statement ripe for additional change today? Sure, I, I think it is. I mean, I, I think that clip that you played of of, of Paul uh, Tudor Jones, I, I, he's right. I, I mean, the, the backdrop has evolved in, in, in a in a pretty robust way. Um, so, is it fair to expect significant change? Yes. Are we going to see significant change? Probably not. I mean, I don't think that that's what this Fed is uh, about uh, at this yeah. point. I think it's more about sort of modest changes. So yeah. I think that's what uh, your expectation should be at best. But again, I think in, in terms of the presser, um, I, I think that, you know, he should be grilled. I should be grilled on on this idea of 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 tapering. I'm sure your own Steve Leisman is, is going to do that tomorrow. Um, and, and I think that, you know, yeah. that's really where we're, our head is at. I'll say one last thing about the statement, um, because don't forget, we're going to get a summary of economic projections uh, with, with this statement. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised um, if the 23 median dot for Fed funds actually shifts higher. It only takes two more Fed officials at this mm. point that are in the no hike camp in 23 to shift out. Um, and so I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if you see a median hike uh, show yeah. up tomorrow for 23. Well, well, it's kind of a big deal. And, you know, on a small way, they actually have already started tapering with the corporate bond. No one cares about that, but they kind of, you know, they, they, they have to start somewhere. Tom Porcelli, RBC Capital Markets. Good morning. Good to see you as always, Tom. Thank you very much. Thanks. Tapering kind of already has begun in a small way. Well, let's end it with your morning RBI. And it starts with a riddle. If tree prices fall in the woods and there's no one around to hear it, do they really fall? Well, yes. The answer is Yes. And here's some random and interesting good news for all you potential new home buyers or do-it-yourself project types. Lumber prices are being cut down to size in a big way. In fact, after soaring, lumber futures have fallen the most ever in one week's time, with data going all the way back to nearly 40 years. Futures prices are now down a stunning 40% from their highs of just one month ago. Apparently, prices got simply too high. Sawmills started slicing up a lot more trees and consumer demand fell off. Now, does this mean you're going to pay less for wood, for a deck on your home, or even a new home soon? Probably not right away. Retail prices are still high and it takes time. But there is some hope now. 
that some of those insane prices that you've been seeing may finally start to come down in the next few weeks and months. And making sure that the bark doesn't take as much of a bite out of your wallet. Random, but interesting. And it goes to the inflation story as well. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We are leaving you with a lot of green on the screen. Global markets, stock futures, crypto, oil, they are all higher. We'll see you more for it tomorrow. Squawk and the gang are picking up the coverage next. Have a spectacular day wherever you may be. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.